What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Master Your Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Henderson. This is the spot to get your mind right. You can't just train the body, got to train the mind. I have a special guest today, Mike Marolt, and yeah. he's uh, tuning in. Uh, we talk mountain time. I'm in central time. Um, now, I'm just going to, I try to do a good job of like giving the listeners like, why should we listen to this guest? Let me just give a few things. Mike and his brother, Steve, first ski mountaineers inducted to the National Ski Hall of Fame. Let's go. What an honor. Can't wait to hear about some of those ad adventures. He's an author. And I just, we're so bothly curious about understanding high performance, peak performance, and how do some performers in these challenging environments can they execute and stay in their process where others can't? But I'm also curious to uncover, Mike, your curiosity about passion versus an obsession. So welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Super, super excited. Well, just give listeners really quick your high level, you know, uh, uh, backstory. Well, you know, I grew up in Aspen. And I, I come from a, kind of a ski racing dynasty family. My dad was an Olympian. My uh, uncle was an Olympian. And then I've got a, a third uncle that, that made the Olympic team but didn't ski in the Olympics. So um, I'm fourth generation here in Aspen. So skiing is really literally and figuratively uh, in the blood. And uh, uh, so we, we we're always skiing and, and dad taught us well. And, and he, he uh, eventually taught us how to get into the back country. Um, the back country being different from resort skiing, resort skiing is where you have lifts and you ride up and you ski down. Ski mountaineering is a function of climbing obscure peaks and, and then skiing down. And um, over the years, I, I, I wanted to be a ski racer, but, but I just didn't have the talent. Um, but uh, my brother and I were identical twins. We both had a knack for endurance. And um, so we really found the, the plot of the climb. You know, we, in, in our world, we call it earning your turns. And over the years, we, you know, when the lifts closed, we found ourselves in our, our backyard in the Elks here in, in the Colorado Rockies, just climbing and skiing as, as much as we could until the lifts opened up the, the next fall. And we've just continued on. I'm 58 and uh, we've spent our entire lives um, climbing and skiing peaks in the greater ranges of the Andes in South America and the Himalaya in, in, in Asia. And um, here at 58, we're still doing it. That's amazing. Well, just give the listeners just a uh some context you were mentioned you and your brother steve were the first americans to ski and then you rattle off these high you know yeah treacherous environments maybe just give that as a as a, a, a back a backdrop too yeah that our forte is to climb and ski in in the five thousand meter to eight thousand meter range and and that's from about seventeen thousand feet to uh twenty six thousand feet and there's fourteen 8,000 meter peaks in the world. And in May of 2000, uh, Steve and I and our buddy, Jim Guile, became the first Americans ever to ski from one of those 14, 8,000 meter peaks. And, um, you know, since then we've been on expeditions to roughly 60 of the highest peaks in the world. And, and we've just really 
traveled around the world and seen a lot of different cultures and, and seen a lot of different mountains and ranges. And it, it's really just become a passion, but, but it's also, it's a, it's a way of life. And, and it's, it's, it's been a, a really tremendous thing for us to experience and, and hopefully pass on to our, our kids. We all have kids. We're all married. Um, Steve and I are CPAs by trade. Uh, Jim, who is kind of the third wheel on, on, on our expeditions, um, is, is a computer programmer. And so we've managed to find dual careers, careers climbing and skiing and careers in more, you know, normal civilian type life. Um, That's great. But it, it's been fun. Well, I'd love to, let's just talk about the, the mind. We're talking about pre-show survive, not thrive. And uh, all these things about how the power of thought, what you've been, your brain has been, uh, you know, trained at birth to what you, how you perceive yourself and your environment, others, your skill level, uh, fear or, or not fear. Uh, just connect the dots for me and us. Like what has drawn you to that, to that, to that topic? Well, you know, I think initially, and the reason why I, I, where I met you was on another podcast where you had, had discussed that as human beings through evolution, we are designed to uh, survive more than we are to thrive. And I came across several years ago when I uh, turned 50, my biggest fear having kids and having a wife was surrounded by a kind of a, a, a blip in the bell curve of the, the survival rate of ski mountaineers and, and mountaineers in general. And, and, you know, when you start out, some people make mistakes and they get into trouble, then they gain a little bit of experience. Um, and, and by the time they're, you know, in their forties or, you know, maybe even a little bit older, they really gain a lot of experience if they're really, really doing that a lot. And there was a, a another uh, author, Lawrence Gonzalez, who who wanted to understand how really experienced fighter pilots could make really bad mistakes, you know, lethal mistakes. And in in ski mountaineering, if if you make a mistake, a lot of times you don't get a second chance. And and so really, he he proclaimed the study of how really experienced people make really bad decisions and get into trouble. And I didn't want that to happen. I had had a handful of friends that, that, that made bad decisions and they're no longer with us. And I didn't want to leave my kids fatherless. I didn't want to leave my wife without a husband. So I started studying this and he used the same language that you used, were designed to survive and not thrive. And um, really what happens is you get complacent when you're out there and you you start to think emotionally as opposed to intelligently. Um, and, and then that kind of parlayed into uh, a, another kind of self-study. It's like, well, why do people do this initially? And what happens when people gain a lot of experience? And what, what goes on in, in the brain that that allows people to not not just deal with with decisions but to really thrive with with regards to what they're doing and i think that that the the the, the resounding 
message that came coming back to me is that a lot of people get obsessed. And there's a difference in the mindset when you're obsessed with something versus when you're just living in the moment and really enjoying it. And in and, and, and my mind, that was called passion. And I believe that the reason that I'm, you know, I started when I was 12 and I'm still climbing and, and skiing at, at, a, at, a, at a high level, I could begin to see the difference between obsession and how I pivoted to, to turn that, that love of the game into just complete and utter passion. And um, th there's definitely, then I started to connect the dots on, on some of the, the, the brain science and why people are the way that they are. And then I started to look at really three different examples in my life um, that really depicted what I'm talking about, a pivot from obsession to passion. Um, and, and, you know, we can talk about those stories if, if, if you yeah, want. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I, there, there, I wrote down a um, few things I want to unpack from that. The, the first thing is, is you start to do a deep dive into brain science and awareness. I would love to just give me your quick review synopsis on the key things that, that, that you've learned that have, that, that have actually served you. Yeah. Well, I think that the, the first one is, is that it doesn't matter what your experience is and, and, and humility is a huge part of this. You have to understand that the, the brain is going to do its, its thing unless you start to study mindset and, and start to understand that, that you can use your intelligence to, to think a certain way. And, you know, going back to the decision-making process, one of the most critical tools that I learned was from this Lawrence Gonzalez. And um, he said, always carry a little notebook. And every time you go out into the wilderness or every time you're going to go out, and even in business, um, get a game plan and write it down and then keep that notebook. And I use the, the example from my career. We were about 50 years old and we were on this 21,000 foot peak in Bolivia. And um, we had climbed up this really technical exposed ridge and we got halfway up the mountain. And my brother and Jim and I look up and we see this lone figure silhouetted going to the summit. And wow, that just fired us up. You know, we threw our gear down, we started to gear up, we lined out the rope. And I just happened to reach into my pocket and I didn't even pull the notebook out. But what happened when I touched that notebook is I, I, I knew that I had taken the time to write down with my intelligence a safe scenario. And, and what that did is it took us from the high, the emotional high of having just climbed for several hours, seeing that the summit was possible. There's a human being up there. If he can do it, we can do it. You're riding a total emotional high. And when I touched that book, I said, whoa. All of a sudden, my brain flipped from pure emotion to intelligence. And I said, guys, that's seven or eight hours away. There's some storms blowing in. It's one o'clock. I think we can make the summit, but I don't know about you guys. I do not want to have to negotiate that down climb. 
in the dark. And it, it was just amazing. The, the, the expressions on their face just completely changed. And they switched into their intelligence, the vortex of the brain that, that, that is more intelligent. And they said, he's right. And, and we made a decision. This is really exposing us. This could be really, really, I mean, we could, you know, meet our demise if we don't, you know, adjust the way that we're thinking. So we said, we'll, we'll go down, we'll rest, and we'll come back up and we'll do it right. Um, so it, 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 it's really, there are things that you can do. And I've learned them on your podcast and a variety of books and stuff that I've read. There are tricks that you can do to change the way that you're thinking by the moment and in general. And, and so you have, to, you have to kind of seek out those, those little tricks of the trade. And, and that's really, you know, why. Man, well, now, now we're into the good stuff because I'm a mindset coach. I teach the tips, strategy, tools, not just motivation. It's not just uh, theory, this, uh, uh, you know, esoteric concepts it's like give me the tool is there a, a tool aside from the notebook when you recognize your mind going the place that is not serving you that you can notice it and then switch it exactly and and it's a skill it, it you have to practice it um and 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 you know relating it then to a much broader spectrum topic of this the, these concepts of obsession versus passion um, it takes a lot of, of, of work. And, and my big question was, I knew that there was a period in my life where I was completely obsessed. And obsession is, is a super high octane, you know, there's, it's high octane fuel to, to allow you to accomplish a lot. And, and, and for the first part of my career, I accomplished a lot. And I mean, I, I was reading an article, um, uh, on Lance Armstrong, and and he he said, you know, it, this w- was after he uh, <laughs> came clean, and he even admitted as much. He said, you know, more than anything that I took, spite was the most incredible performance enhancing drug that I ever had, and and he said, and I used that to 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 fuel myself. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily a great means of attaining goals or whatever. And, and what I found in my career, because the second half of my career is where I really took off. And um, I, I, I made the pivot without even knowing it to going from being obsessed to living in the moment and, and being truly passionate about what I was doing. And, and I, I, my big question was, I wonder if this is something that a person has to learn through the, the classroom of life, like I did, or are there mindset techniques that can help you pivot to avoid some of the detrimental aspects of, of being obsessed and, and being egocentric? And, and you know, I'm, I'm living in, in two worlds. I'm living in a ski world and I'm living in a mountaineering world. There are probably, arguably, no more egocentric activities than those activity than than those two activities. And the reason is is that because so much of it is not dictated by the tick of a clock or a scoreboard. There's no rules. 
it's just it's a free for all and 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 that gives people a lot of freedom to really create narratives that aren't necessarily healthy or even true maybe give me some words that you would associate being obsessed you mentioned ego what what else because you're you're trying to say being obsessed is not good but having passion is well being obsessed i mean i think that the the big difference in my mind is that when when a person is obsessed it generally always has a goal and it really is getting back to the notion of of survival versus thriving obsession really is a form of survival and and you know, I use the story of my dad. Um, he was an Olympian. And, you know, when he was 12 years old, he loved to ski. And there wasn't a whole lot going on in Aspen then. But then in 1950, um, something big happened. And the, the FIS World Championships came to Aspen. And my dad was exposed to all these high-level ski racers that spoke funny languages and were traveling around the world. And um, he looked at those guys and he got to forerun those races. And initially he wasn't obsessed. He just wanted to be a ski racer because it was literally, it sounds funny today. It was a ticket out of a, a, a bad situation. Aspen was not an easy place to live when he was a kid. So he said, if they can do it, I'm going to do it. And he really loved skiing and he had natural ability. And so by the time he was 16, he made the Olympic team. And unfortunately, two weeks before the race, he broke his leg. So he had to spend the Olympics in a hospital bed, listening to him on the radio and watching him on TV. Um, and while he was watching his, his teammates and all of these other racers, he developed an obsession. And his obsession was, I'm going to make the 1960 Olympic team, but I'm not just going to make the team. I've already... He, in a sense, he already achieved that goal, even though he didn't get a ski in the Olympics. He became obsessed with winning a medal in the Olympics. And he, 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 you listen to the language of obsession. It's you, you work your tail off. You're just relentless. You, you make all kinds of sacrifices. You know, I was watching the Summer Olympics the last round, and you look at the profiles of these kids, and these kids decide that they want to be Olympians. And relative to how old they are by the time they make the Olympics, they've spent a huge part of their life being obsessed. And, 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 and the, the, the issue with obsession is that it almost always entails a goal. Well, a goal is really a wish. It, it, if it didn't have as good a chance of failure, maybe even greater, it wouldn't be worth setting as a goal. So dad's fixating on this goal to win a medal. He gets to the year of the Olympics. He's skiing top five in the world. He's profiled in Sports Illustrated. He goes to the Olympics. He didn't attain his goal. He, he, he was devastated. He was devastated to the point that he pretty much quit ski racing. And then when I came into the picture, I had to suffer through watching my idol use literally say my my complete my my ski racing career was a complete waste of talent that was a enormously difficult thing for a little kid to hear his father say i mean he's an olympian he was so distraught from not attaining that goal that he failed to realize he was an olympian he failed to realize he was top 5 in the world 
And that he carried that with him for a number of years. And until the kids came along, and I always tell that he he told the story, it was pretty funny. He said, you know, he was a coach and he was a, a, a traveling salesman in the ski industry. And so when he was gone, my mom was basically a single parent and she had the the two of us, Steve and I, we were just toddlers. And then my older brother and sister were not a lot older. And he said he came through the door and mom was just pulling her hair out. And he said, oh, my God, I got to do something to help mom out. So he defaulted to what he knew. And that was skiing. He went and dusted off his skis and he took us all out skiing. And he enjoyed it more than we did. And from there, he, he started to take the family out skiing. He skied with mom. He skied alone. He started to develop this passion for skiing. And the, and the interesting thing, and, and it just gives me goosebumps thinking about it, the year before he passed away, I was on the ski lift with him. I'm with my brothers and my dad, and it's a powder day, and it's blue sky, and we're just having so much fun. And he kind of mumbled under his breath to nobody, but I was on the left. Mikey, if I would have had the passion that I have to ski today, I would have won those medals. And that, that was a pretty powerful thing. And I was an adult. I was 35 when he died. And, and that's when I started to think, wow, there's something going on here. And... Um, so it, 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 there was, that was kind of a defining moment where I knew that there was something going on with him and, and that, that there, there was a difference. So tell me, let's talk about passion then. So that may maybe be more of the good traits, emotions, feelings, thoughts, and actions. Yeah, I mean, I think what happened in my mind is that when he saw mom pulling her hair out, and he decided that he was going to take the kids out skiing. It was really the first time in his adult life that his motivation to ski was something other than himself, something other than a medal. It was something other than a result. <clears throat> it was just <throat> love of the game, pure love of the game. And, and I, I think that that's one of the key components in, 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 in my story of when I pivoted is that you need to have the ability to, to moderate. You need to be able to step back from what you're doing and you have to realize that there are other people around you. And, 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 and when you, you know, really get into the, the, the brain science, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, when you're in a state of obsession, you know, you're dealing with the neurotransmitters and the, and the hormones and all the chemicals like adrenaline and, and cortisol and all those things. And those things are all great. I mean, they help us to survive. When the saber-toothed tiger was coming at early man, he had to have adrenaline and he had to have cortisol to, to make a quick decision. You know, am I going to flee or am I going to stay and fight? And, and I think when you get into those, those states of being obsessed, you have to practice moderation. You have to be able to step back and say, what in the hell is going on here? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? And, and, and um, you, you, you look at the flip side of that, you know, some of the, the, the greatest producers of, the, of the, the well-being neurotransmitters and chemicals 
are, are number one, based on my research, is loving other people. Um, you know, problem solving is, is, is high up there too. And I think he moderated, he loved his wife, he saw a problem, and he immediately pivoted into a, a, a state of well-being. And, 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 you know, so I think that that's, that was what was going on with him. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you, obsession is the pursuit of happiness where passion, the pursuit is happiness. Exactly. Living in the moment and, 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 you know, really enjoying who you are and what you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I use the, the, you know, and, and there were two instances in my life and one of them was was playing baseball. I mean, before skiing, I wanted to be a ball player. And from T-ball through high school, I wanted to, to you know, every little kid wants to play in the bigs. Well, when I got older, I realized that wasn't going to happen. So I wanted to be a division one player. My older brother managed to make a division one team. And that's what I wanted to do. But I was just absolutely obsessed. And I you know, walked on at a, a division one school and, and the first two years I, I got cut and, and my career was over and it was devastating. I mean, I was depressed and I was, I was home my sophomore year coaching baseball. And all of a sudden I was having lunch at, at home and the baseball coach from St. Mary's college was on the phone and dad says, it's a baseball coach. And the guy said, well, Hey Mike, how you doing? And I didn't even know this guy. And he said, well, I got to be honest with you. You can't field, you can't hit, and you can't run, but you can throw. He said, I need pitchers. Have you ever thought about pitching? And he knew Roger played at University of San Diego. And, and so I started practicing. And, and I went and, and through a, a visualization, I met a trainer from the San Antonio Spurs that lived in Aspen, and he, he taught me self-hypnosis. Well, I made the team and, and I was not a division one caliber player, but I had a really good arm. But the difference is, is that when I look back at my high school baseball career, I don't remember it being fun. I don't remember it not being fun. But the one thing that I clearly remember is literally every single mistake I ever made, every fly ball that I dropped. A lot of times when I struck out in critical critical times. And, and I contrasted that with when I actually made the team, it was such a joy to be able to go on to that, that, that baseball diamond in practice that I, it's just like, I had everything to gain and nothing to lose. And, and, you know, by the time I was a senior, I was so passionate about baseball that I was a legitimate, I wasn't great, but I was a legitimate division one player. I mean, I definitely belonged. And, and I started to think, well, why is that? Because success is, is you know, in life, they say that <clears throat> the things that are guaranteed are, are life, death, taxes, and, and I add another one, work. Everybody's got to work. And, and, and so you, 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 you cannot be successful and get around being relentless. And you can't get around you can't be successful without making sacrifices and just working your tail off but i could make a really strong argument that when you pivot and you find passion you're still experiencing all those things but the the, the negative language is completely gone because you love 
doing it so much, I could make an argument that I worked harder in my ski career and in my baseball career. I worked harder and I got better. And, and when I did make the pivot to um, passion, that's when both my careers really took off. The journey is the reward, not the outcome. As we're kind of now, winding down here, I would love for you to just describe to us the setting scene and what it takes to ski you referenced you and your brother Steve, one of the first Americans to ski with 26,000 feet. Is that, did I hear you that right? 26,300 feet is 8,000 meters. Yeah. Yeah. So walk us through what that's like from air to gear, the terrain, give us that whole scene. Well, it, you know, it, it you, you're, you're, you're forcing yourself into an environment at, at about 23,000 feet the amount of air is about a third of what it is at sea level. And we're pure, we climb pure style. So we don't use oxygen. We don't use any kind of altitude drugs. We don't use any kind of Sherpa. And so you really have to prepare your body mentally, physically, and spiritually before you get there. And, and, and so as a result of that, we're trainaholics. But here again, because now it's such a passionate thing, it, it's, I don't, I don't like the word training. It's, it's more a way of life, but you, you get to the, the, the base of the peak and, and you have to slowly acclimate. So you, you, you don't just get to the peak and go to the top. The, these peaks take weeks to climb. And so you have to go and you, you make a haul up to where you're going to camp and then you go and you sleep low and then you move yourself up and you sleep at that camp. And so you're just kind of leapfrogging for each one of these camps as, as, as you get get up the peak and you slowly, the, the biology kicks in and your blood actually gets thicker um, when, when, you, when you acclimate and um, it, it allows you to carry a, a more oxygen. So you gotta go slow and you, you really have to learn and practice how to suffer because going to altitude, especially pure style is really a, a painful experience. But on the flip side of it, when you get up to those altitudes and and you know that you've done it right and you know you've paid your dues both long before you got to the peak and then you know during the duration of a climb um it, it's enormously satisfying and, and then we throw in the aspect of skiing well skiing is an anaerobic sport by any definition and you just absolutely can't go an anaerobic when you're above twenty thousand feet so you really have to pay attention and you have to monitor how you're breathing and how your circulation is, is flowing. And, and uh, you just, it takes a lot of experience to, to climb those high peaks, but it takes an enormous amount of experience to, to ski them. And, and I think that's why I called the, 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 my book Natural Progression, because it really was a natural progression starting at age 12 to gain the experience and the knowledge of how to get up those peaks. And how do you apply those learnings on the mountain to a life? Well, you have to, you have to learn to live in the here and now. And that's the key to, to, to passion. And, and you have to understand that life is, is really not about comparing yourself to anybody around you. And, that, and that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned is that you know, I was on a, a fast track and I used to look at all of the top 
top level people in, in ski mountaineering. And I used to compare myself to them. And, and I became obsessed to be like them. And, and when I finally pivoted and, and made the transition to, to, to being passionate, I realized that it was more important to compete with myself. It was more important to understand that in, in the moment, if I could develop a strategy where I could be the best that I could possibly be here and now, that if I could link those moments together, you know, at the end of a day, at the end of a week, at the end of a year, end of a decade, that's how I would ultimately attain success. I, I, I used to get to the base of a peak and I'd worry, how in the heck am I going to get to the top of this thing? And, and as I got older, I realized to not even think about it. You got to set goals. I'm not saying I'm not anti-goal. You got to set them, but you, you can't you know, win the medal or you can't make the division one team or you can't get to the summit unless you go through the process that every human being has to go through in order to get from where you are to where you want to be. And you better enjoy it. You might as well enjoy it because the here and now is all we truly own as humans. We can't control what we did in the past and we really can't control the future. So just concentrating on the here and now. And, and, and that entails humility. And, um, you know, I think the other components to pivoting is I tell people and I tell young skiers, it's like, you've got to train yourself to uh, just to have pure gratitude for especially the mundane, you know, something as mundane as going to the faucet and drinking a purified glass of water. And the reason why you gotta, you gotta, have have a lot of gratitude for for the mundane is because another thing that my dad used to preach to us is seek your gifts. You got to look for your gifts because when you find those gifts, you can then leverage them to develop mm -hmm. true passion. And and um, it, it's so important if you if you have if you train yourself to have gratitude for everything, even your mistakes, almost especially your mistakes. When those big gifts come along, like for me, I, I realized that I was, you know, very good at going to altitude. I realized that I loved to ski and that I was a pretty decent skier. Those are all gifts. I learned that I had a unique ability to really suffer. That, you know, that took practice and that's a gift. And 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 I took all of those gifts, I, I brought them together and I leveraged them to, to do what I did. And I guess it just begs the, the 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 next critical question is why is that important, you know? And and on the surface, climbing and skiing is pretty unimportant. It's arguably enormously selfish. But as I've gotten older, I I really and it's really kind of a, a spiritual thing. I believe that there's something else going on around us, and 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 I believe that that whether you call it God or karma or whatever, I'm Christian, so I call it God. I believe that everybody that enters this world has a purpose. And I believe that we are all provided with the gifts to maximize that purpose. And, and I believe that even something as unimportant as climbing and skiing, when people look at my brother and I and Jim, and they look at how we, we, pulled all of our gifts together and how we leveraged them to do what we did. It's inspiring. 
It's why I listen to your podcast or why I listen to Jim Rome's podcast. It's really inspiring. It's really inspiring to see people that have found their gifts that have brought them together to become very good at what they do. And, and, and I think that that for me, that that in, in a nutshell is a manifestation of how much our creator loves us. And I think that's why this is important. I always say that is passion, understanding what you're passionate about, what you're curious about, what you think about, what you research, what you talk about, what you can do when time doesn't exist, what gives you energy. That's finding your passion. Well, I had a good time today, man. I learned a lot. It was really good to hear, you know, a sport that I don't know a ton about. I mean, I've, I've snowboarded a few times, but just seeing how you push yourself and the things you've done in your, in your career, it's phenomenal. So maybe the last question I'd want you to reflect on and share with us, you know, having a father who was an Olympic athlete from, you know, being the first, one of the first ski mountaineers to be inducted into the National Ski Hall of Fame to, to summit and to ski. I love your phrasing. You have to earn your turns. That's really good. Um, based of all that things, things you've done in your career as a father, as a husband, how could you teach us what's the most important thing we can do to master our mindset? I think the, the most important thing that I learned over the course of my, my career was to, to, to moderate and to step back and, and to really analyze what you're doing. And just moment by moment, do the right thing for the right reasons always. And, 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 and you will avoid a lot of problems. I mean, when, when you let ego and emotion and, and a lot of these things get too involved in, in the thought process, it, it just, it forces you into the future. And we don't even know if we're going to make it to the future. So making, if you can teach yourself to, to, to make the right decision for the right reason here and now, and just make that kind of a, a standard um, it, it's going to allow you to overcome hurdles that that get in your way and not get frustrated it's going to allow you to to fix mistakes that you made and to overcome those but it it really breeds patient patience and and being patience being patient is is a, a critical critical aspect because without patience it's nearly impossible to live in the moment mm -hmm. and to That's really good. concentrate. I like the phrase, and there's power in the pause, create some separation, create some distance, see, feel, assess, analyze, uh, go to facts, go to truth, take the next right step. That's really good. Um, well, Mike, I had a good time. Where could people find you by your book? Yeah, they can they can find uh, the book on Amazon. I've got a couple of movies out, Skiing Everest and Beyond Skiing Everest. They're on all the places where you can, you know, stream movies and stuff like that. And skiingeverest.net is is a website that that we have that kind of tells our story and you can get all the links there and and uh, you know, so it, it's just kind of a obscure little pool that I find myself in at age 58 but it's been rewarding and, and, and man, my gratitude for, you know, everything that's come into my life is, is enormous. So. That's great. Well, I love for that, that legacy. I'm glad you has, you had that documented to watch, to learn, to learn from, but being one of the first in the world, 
for our country to do anything is pretty special. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Had a good time. I can't wait to, to chat again. And we end every show with this truth. The body has limits, but the mind is limitless. Thank you. There you go. Bingo. Thank you.